THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. That's not a mistake. That's how you're supposed to say it. Ziggurats are at places. Yeah, you explained that once already. I know, but somebody's got to look, what are you doing? Like, because you're a dummy. So, there. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 507 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Folks, my name is Matt Baum. I hope you feel better after putting that I'm just so much smarter than anybody that listens to this show, Joe. (laughs) And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we review 10 of this Wednesday's new comics, including Tom Scioli's GoBots, number one, and American Carnage, number one, from Vertigo. Then it's down to the old THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, we're calling him up from the minor leagues, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's keep it a surprise. He's not telling you. But we have a surprise guest over. He's going to do some editorializing. And maybe he'll get us in trouble, just like the previous guy. Who knows? But before we start fasting in advance of Turkey Day, Joe, let's have one more can of spinach. Flex our freakish muscles, and then we can kick the crap out of this week's... Nerd news! Wow, nerd news. Yeah. <laughs> it's character acting. Yeah, I get it. Some of us care about the job, Joe. Yeah, okay? yeah. Some of us put our souls into this garbage. Oh, not me, no. <laughs> Matt, are you ready for more outer space adventures with Marvel's newest cosmic hero, Wolverine? Spit take! Spit take. <laughs> Marvel Comics has announced... I think it's so much funnier to say spit take <laughs> yeah, than to actually spit do it. take. <laughs> Marvel Comics has announced Wolverine, colon, Infinity Watch, a new title launching in February in the aftermath of Infinity Wars. So we're all in. Yeah, I guess. Like it or not, you're in. Created by writer Jerry Duggan and artist Andy McDonald, Wolverine Infinity Watch pairs Wolverine and Loki on a cosmic journey. As for what they're after, Duggan offered Marvel.com a single cryptic statement. Quote, the new cosmic status quo will demand, dot, 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 capital W, Watching whatever could they be talking End about? End quote. Hmm. I hope Nick Fury's coming back. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Space Watcher. I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, I don't have any interest in this at all. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I, care, man. Like, I'll read it. I'll probably read the first issue, but like, well, of course I, we will. We'll, we'll review it. I'm sure. Wolverine in space is stupid. It's, it's stupid. I mean, unless he's with the X Men. I get it. The X-Men go to space and do stuff. Sure. Wolverine doesn't need to go to space by himself. With Loki. With Loki. I Like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense at no. all. In other Marvel news, writer Chip Zdarsky and artist Marco Cheeschito Chichetto will be launching Marvel Comics' Daredevil with a new number one this February. So Zdarsky's just, he's done with the silly shit. He's gone full Tom Hanks. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is his Philadelphia. Uh, this news comes as the current Daredevil volume by Charles Soule and Phil. Yeah. That's what we announced over the Chip Zdarsky has AIDS. Yes. <laughs> this news comes as the current Daredevil volume by Charles Soule and Phil Noto is running through a storyline called Death of Daredevil to culminate in December. Ever since the end of Brian Michael Bendis' run on the title, it has become a tradition for the ongoing creative team to put the title character in a difficult situation and leave it to the next team to write their way out We've of it. We've upped the ante to. Death. Yeah, death. <laughs> okay. Well, what do they do after this? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, really. 
Oh, his his molecules have been destroyed. He becomes a literal devil. You're gonna write him out of like <laughs> reality. He, you know? he replaces the literal devil. Yeah, he, becomes, he goes to live in the sun yeah, like Superman. Right, exactly. <laughs> Daredevil one million. Zadarsky and Chichetto's Daredevil number one is scheduled for release February sixth, twenty nineteen. Now this I'm I, into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done with Charles Soule on Daredevil. It's not bad. It's not good either. I just don't care about it. I, yeah, I feel nothing. And it's the same with Infinity Wars. I feel nothing. Yeah. Like, Infinity Wars is not bad. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. But I barely care. Yeah, I don't. I don't you know, I don't care they, at all. You can tell Marvel's just like, hey, dudes, you like the Avengers movie, right? Right. Well, guess what? Something sort of kind of similar is happening in the comics. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, it just, it just feels like super like low stakes. Yeah. None of it is... Yeah. seeming to have any impact on anything. Right. And, you know, like, a good story is a good story, but it's just like, eh. Yeah, there's some characters, spoiler alert, they killed Thanos, okay? So there's yeah. some characters where if they kill them in the first issue, it's pretty fucking obvious they're coming back. Right, you know, yeah. You, you just can't do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it doesn't work for anymore. We're too smart to know what's going on. Maybe this is just us because we're old assholes. I don't know. Well, we are old assholes. That's it's true. true. It's true. Um, I do really like this creative team for Daredevil, though. I, I do, li- too. I like Chip Zdarsky as a writer, and he has proven that he's not just a goofy guy. Yeah. I mean, he is a goofy guy, but like he's capable of writing more serious stuff. And Chichetto. And Holy I love Marco crap. Chichetto. That dude can do whatever he wants. Remember yeah. when he went to Star Wars and we were like, this isn't going to work at all? And it was amazing. Yeah, he's very good. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Joe Patrick, did you know that DC is launching a female Furies limited series in February, spinning out of Jack Kirby's fourth world creations? Writer Cecil Castellucci and artist Adriana Mello are the creative team of the six-issue series, which focuses on the early days of Apocalypse. With Granny Goodness, Big Barda, Oriel, Mad Harriet. I don't remember Mad Harriet. She, uh, she's like real crazy looking. She's got sharp claws. Yeah, don't call her Mad Harriet for nothing. She's huh? kind of, uh, she's got yellow skin and green hair. Okay. Lashina, Bernadette, and Stomp. Stompa. Stompa. <laughs> that was a typo. Uh, what is it? Stompa. Stompa? Yeah, Stompa. Stompa. I don't remember no Stompa either. I love the Jack Kirby fourth world though. And these characters are some of the most bonkers characters that lived in Apocalypse. This sounds like it's going to be. Super wackadoo fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to care except for old guys like us, but here's what they're saying about the series. Female Furies takes place smack in the middle of Jack Kirby's original fourth world. So if you know Jack Kirby's new gods, well, you'll have a familiar understanding of how the key players and their motivations, said Castellucci. However, you don't need prior knowledge of Apocalypse to enter the story. Just remember, there are often terrible people in power, and then there are people who are being held down by them. So are they going to take some of these other... Because like all of these characters, pretty much Big Barda and Oriel aside, were like bad girls. Like, Lachina wasn't nice. She was scary as shit. Well, sure, but... There's no way Bernadette is good with a name like Bernadette. Well, I don't think they're talking about making them into heroes. No, I no, think no, they're- but they're kind of making it sound like maybe they're being held down against their will to do this shit. Well, yeah, they are, because they're raised to be slave warriors. I guess. Of course, they live on Apocalypse, Matt. Of course they're not. Don't they love it, though? <laughs> I don't know if love is the right word. All right. It's well, like all they know, right? Well, yeah, so in DC lore, the female Furies are raised by Darkseid's regime to be an all-female fighting force. They're super badass. Female Furies is going to follow a- they're the, they're the world's most female fighting teams. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Female Furies follows the current 12-issue Mr. Miracle series, which co-starred Big Barda. And that series artist Mitch Gerads drew Female Furies number one's cover. I do not expect it's going to answer any of our unanswered questions. No, because this takes place in the From past, Mr. So. Miracle. Main question being, is he dead? <laughs> you know, I, I finished it. I still I went, don't know. Huh. Is he dead? Yeah, he might be dead. <laughs> Sounds super cool. I'm excited for yeah, this. Yeah, I love I the female I really like Mello's art. I don't know Castellucci, though. Uh, Cecil Castellucci, she did some Vertigo stuff. I think she did one of the Young Animal books. Okay. She wrote some stuff on the Young Animal Milk Wars. She worked on Green Lantern, the animated series. I did not know that. She did that Odd Duck story. We reviewed that a while ago. I forgot about that one. Shade the Changing Girl. Yes. She worked on Shade the Changing Girl. There you go. Yep. That's all all we have to say about that, I guess. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, I'm excited. In TV news, Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormston's Black Hammer has been optioned for film and TV development by Legendary Entertainment. The duo will serve as executive producers of the franchise. Do not make a movie. Don't do it. Fight the urge. Don't make a movie. Do it on TV. I mean, they could make a movie. No, 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 no. There's way too much. That universe is way too rich and way too bizarre. I do not want to see it crammed into two and a half hours. No fucking way. I want a TV show. Episodic. Let's let's get into it. Here's a quote describing the uh, property, I guess. Black Hammer is an epic multi-book saga of interweaving stories, both past and present, detailing the trials and tribulations of the heroes as well as the villains of Spiral City. It's a genre-bending series that pushes the limits of what a superhero story can be while always creating deep metaphors for human experiences. In Black Hammer, the characters come first and the superhero aspects become the canvas to tell their stories. Black Hammer debuted at Dark Horse Comics in 2015. Uh, Was it really that long ago, 2015? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And there have been several spinoff titles. Uh, It's Amazing. Black yeah. Hammer is one of my favorite books on the stands. We've talked about it ad nauseum. It is a wonderful book. And Absolutely incredible. I am pumped for this news. Yeah. I think it could be really great. It's a, it's one of those books that is, uh, you know, presents an homage to every comic book character you can possibly think of. But not just that, homages to the eras that those characters came out of. Yeah. Stupid changes that were made to them in certain, certain eras. And oh, man. And the great thing about something like Black Hammer is that it doesn't come with any baggage no. uh, about like, you know, this is how I see this character that I've right. been reading about my whole life. And they cast some guy that doesn't even look like him. Yeah. You know, it's like, whatever. It's Black Hammer. Just do it. Yeah. Go crazy. It should be wonderful. I'm excited. For it. That is your nerd news for the week. But I'm sure we missed a ton of stories while turkey hunting with our new phasers set to roast. You got that right. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune into Cover to Cover live every Saturday morning where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. You're invited. It's your nerdy talk show, so damn it, you better call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or you can send an MP3 recording of your answer or comment or whatever to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It's review time in the Ziggurat, and this week, Joe and I have roasted two of Wednesday, November 21st comics to brown, crispy perfection. Joey, let's carve into these books, shall we? 
All right, all right. Excellent turkey reference. My review for this week is American Carnage number one from Vertigo Comics. It's written by Brian Edward Hill with art by Leandro Fernandez. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Disgraced FBI agent Richard Wright is offered a chance for redemption when his old mentor sends him undercover to infiltrate a white supremacist group believed to be responsible for the death of a fellow agent. Undercover. So it's a lighthearted rom-com. Yeah, yeah, lighthearted. It's <laughs> gotcha. It's a, got a lot of meat cutes in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vertigo resurgence continues with American Carnage, harkening back to the imprint's heyday of Ed Brubaker and Brian Azzarello crime titles. I'm not overly familiar with writer Brian Edward Hill's work. I know he's done some stuff on Detective that uh, I don't think too many people were into. No. Um, but I haven't really read much of anything else he's done. I, I reviewed Aphrodite 5, uh, which wasn't bad. No, we liked it. When an FBI agent is ordered to drop an investigation to an Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Ties to a popular right-wing philanthropist, she recruits her old friend, disgraced former agent Rick Wright, to infiltrate the man's organization and root out his ties to white extremists. Rick is haunted by the mistakes of his past, and Curry is able to play against his sense of guilt and identity as a half-black man that can pass for white. He's the only man for the job. As Rick gets closer to the organization, Hill kind of subverts expectations a bit. These aren't, like, overtly evil people. They're not ignorant hillbilly racists that casually toss out the N-word. No, they're Trump supporters. Well, (laughs) yes. And could it be that their views might even make a bit of sense? Nope. Hill does a great job revealing the insidious nature of these types of people and how modern racism has become so prevalent Disguised as honest folks just looking out for the interests of hard-working Americans. The last page reveal of this issue was chilling. I loved Leandro Fernandez's work ever since I first saw it in Greg Rucka's Queen and Country more than 15 years ago. Oh, and that's he's right. just as fantastic now. He excels at giving each character a distinct appearance, and this book is full of background characters. His ink-heavy style is very reminiscent of 100 Bullets' Eduardo Rizzo, Colorist Dean White uses a more subdued palette that helps the thick black line art really stand out. So far, it seems like American Carnage is another feather in the cap of Vertigo's latest relaunch, a return to some of the gritty realism of its crime comics from the late 90s and early 2000s with real relevance to today's cultural climate, given American Carnage number one to buy it. Yeah, I loved it. It I couldn't help but think of 100 Bullets because of Fernando's Fernandez, pardon me, Fernandez, Leandro Fernandez's yeah. art, which is like you said, very Edward Rizzo, who I yeah. also love. Oh, for this sure. This is very real-world conspiracy. I am totally in on this one. Great book. Buy it. Matt, speaking of realism, yeah, let's uh, let's let's talk about some hard-hitting real issue stuff, Joe. Ripped, ripped from the headlines. <laughs> like the GoBots, number one, from IDW, written and drawn by Tom Scioli, 32 pages for $3.99. GoBots have changed our way of life. Leader One is a self-aware fighter jet on a hostage rescue mission with his partner, Commander Nick Burns. Scooter is a personal transport and best friend to undergrad A.J. Foster. Turbo is Matt Hunter's transforming race car in the hottest sport in America, GoBot Racing. Psy Kill is a champion of the illegal underground GoBot Fighting League, a sophisticated sci-fi epic from the visionary creator that brought you Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. They say they're here to help us, but are they here to replace us? A sophisticated sci-fi romp. 
It totally is. That's the thing. For those of you under 35, GoBots were essentially knockoff Transformers made by Tonka from 1983 to 1987. Tonka was trying to get in on that sweet, sweet Transformer cash. They weren't as cool, but they were definitely cheaper, making GoBots the poor kids Transformer. And man, did we make fun of the poor kids that brought GoBots to school. What an ass. Did you know? Yeah, that was the time. Did you know, though, that Hasbro, who owns Transformers, bought the GoBots license in 1991 and officially declared their mythos an alternate reality of the Transformers timeline. I did not know that. It's a thing. Not that there was a real deep well of GoBots mythology to draw from here. However, the dry well makes for a perfect sandbox for Tom Cioli. Seoli's world is one where humans and GoBots live in harmony, but a social divide is forming with groups of underground bot battles. Humans are beginning to take advantage of the GoBots G-chip, which keeps them from harming people. This GoBots is more like the early days of Blade Runner, when humans started to mistreat and disdain replicants in Philip K. Dick's book, to Android's room of electric sheep. A small group of GoBots has broken away and rejected their human servitude. They've overpowered their G-chips, and they are ready to start some shit. <laughs> Philly script borrows from real-life standoffs like the Branch Davidians in Waco. He packs his panels with slam, bang, GoBot action and real-world emotion. This new GoBot book is so much more than a Transformers knockoff, and it's some of Scioli's most exciting work yet. He's created a fantastic world with sociopolitical themes, high stakes, and real-world threats. This is the perfect place for a lunatic creative force like Scioli, and I cannot wait to buy the hardcover collection. I am giving this a giant robot-sized buy it. You know what? It was a ton of fun, but I don't really buy into, like, the deep themes that you saw here. This was pretty oh, service I, level. Like I loved it, man. When they were in Psykill with, like, the two GoBots were fighting, the one that doesn't have a human in him was like, is there a human in there? Did I hurt him? Sure, yeah. And he's, like, it was shaking creepy. him. He's like, are you dead? You know, like, yeah, yeah. ugh, God. It was uh, chilling. I don't remember. Okay, so... I don't really know anything about the GoBots, like, mm -hmm. backstory. Uh, they weren't made by humans, right? They were aliens? As far as I know, yeah. But it, seems, it seems like here that they were made by the humans. Um, no, because the professor guy says they came to Earth. Okay, I guess I missed in that. In class, yeah. Um, he says they came to Earth. Regardless, like, I really loved it. I, it was kind of all over the place in, in like, the best, like... 12 year old fan fiction drawn his own comics kind of way where it's oh, like, yeah, uh, leader one is transformed into his robot form and he's requesting lethal permission uh, or requesting permission to use lethal force against terrorists. Yeah. And then the next thing, you know, the plucky uh, young college students getting locked in the basement. And it's just like, it's, it's like zipping back and forth between scenes so fast with no oh, transitions yeah. whatsoever. Oh yeah. Uh, it was manic fun. It's a huge bite for me as well. So that is a double buy it for both GoBots number one and American Carnage number one. We'll post our written reviews over at twoeditnerd.com so grown-up GoBots fans can shame us for poor shaming. Not my fault, the pants are pub. But we also want to hear from you guys. Call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook at us, jump on your robot that transforms into a toilet, and drop it off at the ziggurat, whatever works for you. But we need to know what you thought of these comics. It I mean, it's a, into a toilet? It's, it's a toilet with wheels. <laughs> I need one of those. Yeah, so that like, would be fantastic. You can, you can go on the go.
It's almost turkey day, nerds, which means it's time to chase down the birds we've been fattening up in the THN poultry pens. And you don't want to know we're feeding these fuckers. Well, we review eight more of this Wednesday, November 21st comics during the annual Thanksgiving Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Web of Venom, Carnage Born, number one from Marvel. Donny Cates must be the greatest comic writer of all time because not only has he made a Venom book that is a must-read title, he just made me care about fucking Carnage. (laughs) The first few pages basically resets Cletus Cassidy's entire life into a compelling story of a psychotic killer that was destined to meet Null, the god of the symbiotes. While Venom has been battling Null, Cletus seeks to join him by devouring everyone that's ever worn a symbiote. There's a fantastic last page here. This was far and away the coolest story I've ever read for this stupid character, and I am on board for more. I'm giving it a buy it. Do not read it if you haven't been reading Venom because it is so confusing. (laughs) You will need to read Venom to know what's going on. Smooth Criminals, number one from Boom! A very mod jewel thief from the 1960s wakes up from cryogenic sleep 30 years later and teams up with a misfit hacker. This <laughs> sounded like such a fun idea, and the cover by Audrey Mock really sells it. Unfortunately, the rest of the issue was a huge letdown. Awful dialogue from Kiwi Smith and Kurt Lusgarden. Painfully unfunny jokes. This book is set in the 90s for no other reason I can see, other than so the writers can make dated references like Talk to the Hand. Ugh. Laisha Riddle's art is also very inconsistent. Good storytelling, but it shifts between cartoony and realistic at the drop of a hat, and the characters have some real anatomical issues. Like they've got, like, massive bulges in their pants? No, like everyone's got, like, weird baby arms. Sorry, I was thinking of something else. (laughs) That's different. That's a different comic. I I was thinking of something bigger than a baby's arm. Oh, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I really wanted to like this, but I really didn't. Smooth Criminals gets a leave it. Middle West, number one from Image. Scotty Young writes his first mature reader story, right? I think so. Right? Yeah. About magic in the Midwest, it felt equal parts Stranger Things and Fables with talking animals and living storm clouds. Young doesn't waste any time setting up the world of Middle West, which left me scratching my head at times because he didn't set it up at all. Jorge Corona's art is stunning, even if he is doing a Scotty Young art impersonation, but the story just never grabbed me. It was Middle West is very pretty to look at, but fell flat in setting up the world and the characters. I just, I don't know what's going on in this world. I understand a kid fought with his dad. I understand dad turns into a giant cloud monster and pushes a finger through the kid. And everywhere they go, there's weird bottles of pink liquid on top of vehicles and houses. I don't know what this is about. I'm giving it a skim it because it was very pretty to look at. Okay. Tony Stark, Iron Man, number six from Marvel. Something is terribly wrong in Tony Stark's Ready Player One-esque online virtual universe. Who could possibly have predicted that that could happen? Yeah, I mean, shit like that never goes wrong in the Marvel Universe. (laughs) This is another great issue with fantastic art by Valerio Skeedy, and I love it when classic villains make a comeback. I'm really loving this series so far. It's just good old-fashioned superhero comics, just what Dan Slott does best. I just wish I was enjoying his Fantastic Four as much as this. Really? Yeah. I I am very much enjoying it. It's just not as good. Tony Stark Iron Man number six is a buy it. Sukaban Turbo number one from IDW. Continuing the theme of pretty books with not-so-awesome stories, Sukiban Turbo is the story of a girl gang that sells drugs and causes general havoc. 
after being inspired by a Japanese crime film. Victor Santos is a wildly talented student of Darwin Cook's school of cartooning, but his art is completely wasted on this group of unlikable, violent high school drug dealers that don't even seem to be smart enough to know that they could be thrown in jail for their actions. There's like a panel where they're just driving down the street on scooters, beating people with golf clubs in broad daylight without masks on. Like, you can't even do that in Red Dead Redemption and not get in trouble, you know? <laughs> Imagine if Milk and Cheese wasn't funny and said in some type of wannabe gang story, and you've got Sukuban Turbo. Santos' art is the only thing saving this book from a leave it. I'm giving it a skim. Crimson Lotus, number one from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola and John Arcuti are back with another tale from the wide world of Hellboy, this time focusing on Lobster Johnson's greatest foe. This issue explores the Crimson Lotus's tragic origins and her horrific quest for revenge. There's a really gory scene early on that gets a great callback on the final page. Beautiful art from Mindy Lee and Michelle Madsen, like a mix of Guy Davis and Michael Avon Oming. Yes, exactly. I love the expanded Hellboy universe, and Crimson Lotus number one was tons of fun. Buy it. Betty Page number one from Dynamite. The Secret Diary of Betty Page returns, and this time, the Queen of England has been kidnapped by aliens. So, <laughs> naturally, risque model Betty is on the case. But this isn't the bikini-clad Betty you know. This Betty is an empowered, globe-trotting secret agent sent to investigate the most bizarre of cases. No cheesecake here, I'm afraid, other than the completely cheesecake cover that seems really out of place. I really enjoyed the first Betty Page mini, and this one looks great, too. I'm giving this one another buy it. That's just weird, man. I just don't get the bikini cover. It's like, if we're not doing that in the book, don't do it in the book, you know? Sure. Archie 700 from Archie. Archie's returning to his original numbering for the Big 700, joined by the new creative team of Nick Spencer and Marguerite Savage. This was a great issue and a perfect jumping-on point for Riverdale fans that might be interested in reading more about the characters. It's not as wackadoo crazy as the show, but there's definitely a slight edge to the tone compared to traditional Archie fair. Savage's art is really stunning. Yeah, she is great. The gang's all here, and this is a good opportunity to check out the book if you haven't before. Archie 700 gets a buy it. I really wish Spencer would turn him into a secret Nazi or something. <laughs> no, please don't. I hope he learned his lesson. Thwip! That is your ludicrous speed round, and thwip is, of course, the sound of Spider-Man firing his web shooters. If you don't know that, turn off the show now and just leave. Go away. One of the most famous comic book sound effects of all time. It debuted in Amazing Spider-Man 36 way back in 1966. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Jimmy Randall via Facebook in honor of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can come up with a polymer that sticks to anything and dissolves in about an hour. Swing all the way here to tell us or just send it to any of our social media or shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Okay, rules are off the board. We used to say they have to be from this week's comics. Fuck that. Pick a noise you like, send it to us. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Onomatopoeia of the week is just any onomatopoeia from a comic that you've read. No rules! Joey, it's time to start the annual pre-Turkey Day Schwitz, where we head down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, and our buddy Heatwave has been shooting his little gun at rocks and pouring water on them for like the last hour. Ooh, it's... 
steamy in here. All right. Joey, let's get these towels off, have a nice sweat, and tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next week where we're dick naked. Oh, yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> My pick for next week is Quincredible, number one from Lion Forge. Uh, this may or may not be part of the Catalyst Prime. It didn't say. It's written by Rodney Barnes with art by Kelly Fitzpatrick and Selena Espiritu. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Quinton, a high school sophomore, is looking to live his best life by moonlighting as a superhero. The catch, his power is invulnerability. That's it. <laughs> no flight, no, no strength. He's like a cheerleader from Heroes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds super fun. It looked kind of like all ages. This has got to be uh, part of the Catalyst Prime. I think it must be. I, I doubt they're starting a spin-off superhero No, thing. no, That's probably stupid. Probably not. Um, it, it reminded me, there's a character... Um, there's a character from the Legion of Superheroes uh, long ago named Laurel Kent. She was supposed to be like the descendant of Clark Kent. Okay. Uh, and she had invulnerability, and that's it. That's yeah, just that was. Really <laughs> and they hard. wouldn't. And they wouldn't let her. They wouldn't let What'd her they join call the Legion. Her? You can't kill her, girl. Or what? I don't know. I don't even think she had a code name. Uh, but uh, spoilers: she ended up being a Manhunter spy. <laughs> so. Oh shit, Matt, what's your pick? My pick is Shazam. Number one from DC. It's written by Jeff Johns. Oh, man. I didn't even see that on the list. I'm surprised you didn't pick it. With art by Dale Eaglesham, it is 32 pages. It is $3.99. Here is your solicit. The superstar team of Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham reunite to launch the first all-new Shazam monthly title set in the DC universe in almost 20 years. What took you guys so long? Asks this thing in the parentheses. Teenager turned superhero Billy Batson struggles to balance school and superheroics. More parentheses. Guess which one is more fun? But when Shazam Waka Waka. <laughs> but when Shazam unlocks a shocking secret deep within the rock of eternity, it challenges everything he knows about the worlds of magic and his family's future as its champions. Also, witness the bizarre team-up of Dr. Savannah and Mr. Mind as they set off to build a society all their own. How's it going to work? It's like brainy people and worms, basically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't miss the start of an epic run in the making of Shazam and the Seven Realms. Shazam is back, baby. I'm super pumped. First of all, anything Dale Eaglesham draws, I'm totally in. Secondly, you know how much Jeff Johns loves this character. Yeah, yeah. And we got a movie coming. And this, is this going to be the beginning of the return of the JSA? Or are they just going Shazam's on his own, doing his own shit? Yeah, no, I think Shazam's on his own, doing his own shit. The JSA stuff's coming in... Um, like January, right? Doomsday Clock, when that shit's over. Which I don't, think it's, I don't think it's ever ending. So, don't get your hopes uh, up. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> on this week's episode of The Flash... Ragdoll was the villain, and it was fucking creepy as hell. Uh, and they name dropped uh, Dale Eaglesham's name because he was the artist. Uh, yeah. He created that. Ver- he yeah, created yeah, yeah. that version of the character. Yeah, I love that. Character. Uh, I think he did, or at least he was long running artist on. He was drawing the book on that Secret book Six with Gail time, Simone, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was super fun. Uh, but yes, I love Dale Eaglesham. I don't think we get enough out of him. No, I, where has he been? What's he been doing? I don't know. What's the last thing he even drew? The last monthly book that I could find by Dale Eaglesham, he did some pages, not all, but some, in Action Comics number 52, back in 2016. It was him and Scott Eaton. Wowzers. Yeah, that was Pete Tomasi's run. Really, really good run. Anyway, I'm glad he's back. Uh, I'm, I'm... Cautiously optimistic for more like monthly superhero stuff from Jeff Johns. 
I don't know. I feel like this is right up his alley. I'm, I agree. I'm not I worried this about this right at all. This is where you want a guy like Jeff Johns. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. The THN trade of the week is McKay. It's a hardcover graphic novel from Titan Comics written by Thierry Smolderin. Illustrated by Jean-Philippe Bramanto. It's 232 pages for $49.99. Here's your solicit. Get ready for a dizzying dive into the McKay dimension with this equally true and false tribute to the undisputed master of the imagination. McKay is an invented biography, in quotes, chronicling authentic, though only partially true, stories of the life of the future creator of Little Nemo, Windsor McKay in which McKay's life is enriched by an imaginary encounter with British mathematician and science fiction writer Charles Hinton and glimpses of the fourth dimension. Windsor McKay is amazing. Right. Like, if you have not, uh, if you're not familiar with his work. Legendary. Uh, he created Little Nemo in Slumberland. I have to admit something. Yes. I don't know shit about Little Nemo. I don't. I don't really either. <laughs> I don't know shit about it. I remember there was a Nintendo game. There was called a Little Nintendo Nemo game, yes, and it sucked. It beyond sucked. <laughs> and but it was to the point where like it was playable, but you didn't know what you were fucking doing, and like it was harder than it needed to be. And I spent too much time going like I feel like there's something here. All right, you heard it here. We we want you uh, Little Nemo NES fans to come out in defense of the game on cover to cover next it week. Sucked. Um. But yeah, uh, so yeah, Little Nemo is about a kid who would go to sleep and he would wake up in this kind of Oz-esque- like, Slumberland. Yeah, Wonderland. Yeah. Um, and it, the art is tremendous. He was a pioneer of early animation. Yeah, this was um, super, this was like pre-acid and, you know, like psychedelia. This is old school psychedelics. Like the movie where they shoot the moon and the moon has a face uh, and yes. uh, rock, what's it called? Rock to the moon? You know, I don't remember. Clear up the moon or something like that? All Straight the way, up the moon spot. All the way up inside the moon. <laughs> all, all up inside the moon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. It's super bizarre and like Baroque and sort of classic looking shit. Oh my God. Yeah, and I love the I love these types of stories that take historical figures and then like insert them into these weird like science fiction or yeah. superhero yeah. or spy stories. Uh, and the art on this looks incredible. Right on. There's our picks for Wednesday, November 28th. But we want to know what you nerds are reading, too. Holler. Tell us what you're picking up next Wednesday because we don't want to miss anything good, all right? And don't forget to make sure these picks and yours are added to your pull file. It is the heroic thing to do for your local comic shop. You may have heard him on THN cover to cover, but we're calling him up to the big leagues, mainly because we couldn't come up with a segment this week, but that's beside the point. THN is proud to welcome our first British correspondent, live from Mushroom Manor, it's Daily Lord Fungus! Live from the United Kingdom, I am Stately Lord Fungus, here with the newest THN segment, Tales from the Manor. Every month I'll sober up enough to take you beautiful listeners behind the scenes at Mushroom Manor and share the thoughts of the British comic book community. And very much like my sex life, it won't last long and probably isn't that entertaining, but bear with me. When the two-headed nerd asked me to drop by the ziggurat for a cuppa, I should have known something was amiss. 
Joe had that friendly puppy look, and Matt was at one point dribbling hot chicken fat down his shirt. Yeah, just a cuppa. How about tied up and forced to watch the Twilight Saga on repeat until I sidened my soul and my story's over? I was one sparkly vampire away from biting my own eyes out when they both leaned in and whispered, We have Titanic on VHS. Uncut. Well, that was enough. I headbutted a kumquat and signed my name in tangy juice right there. So, I thought I'd start gently and introduce myself to the wider audience, but then something truly sad happened. On the evening of the 12th of November, I read the tragic news that Stan Lee had passed away. Wow, I'm cold just saying that. Okay, we all knew that at 95 years of age, he didn't have that many years ahead of him, and his commitments to live events were all but over. However, regardless of these facts, it still hit me, like it did so many millions of fans worldwide, really hard. It's weird, isn't it? I've got a bit of a strange family here at Mushroom Manor, and although I'd never had the privilege of meeting Stan in person, or even being at an event where he was in attendance, it felt like somebody close to me had died. Celebrity does that to us. We feel we truly know the person, even though they are breathing the refined air of genre legend. And that's because, in a way, we actually did know them. OK, I wasn't in Stan's mobile phone, but I knew intrinsically how he felt about civil rights and equality. I never had a conversation with him, but he knew exactly how I felt growing up as a teenager who struggled with everything from depression to acne. How could he know me so well? He knew that I just wanted to fit in. He understood that at times I had to become somebody else to simply make it through the day, to put on my suit of armour and sharpen my senses to a hostile teenage world. He just knew these things about me and I knew that he was on my side the whole time. The first time I read about Stanley coming to UK shores was in 1987 when he made an appearance at Forbidden Planet in London to sign the book How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. I was a mere teenager at the time and not allowed to venture outside of Birmingham, let alone all the way to the nation's capital. To be honest, the 1980s British comic book scene was dominated by homegrown talents such as Battle, Star-Lord and of course 2000 AD. The UK branch of Marvel was actually formed in the year I was born, 1972, and overseen by young Tony Isabella, with the New York offices retaining strict editorial control. We used to get occasional reprints of Ghost Rider or The Hulk, but it wasn't easy to find Marvel in the local stores, and when you did, it was all horribly out of date. I can remember asking my parents what a zip code was, and both of them just looking at me with absolutely no idea. They still don't know. But as I grew older and my tastes changed, I stuck with 2000 AD, but moved away from the other titles into the more mainstream world of capes. And with that came regular trips to Nostalgia in Comics in Birmingham, which is still the UK's oldest independent, and it was a place that opened my teenage eyes up to the endless adventures of Iron Man, Captain America, and of course Spider-Man. I think that by the time I was a fully-fledged advocate of all things Marvel and DC, Stan wasn't the powerhouse behind the writing, and it fell to Frank Miller, Todd McFarlane, and of course the mighty Excalibur from the mind of Chris Claremont to keep the moral compass pointing north at all times. Regardless of who was writing the stories, they were products of the bullpen, and that meant that Stan had a hand in them somewhere along the timeline. So to you, Stan Lee, I raise my glass and I say thank you. I say thank you for giving the world these amazing characters, for shining a little bit of light on the dark corners of my troubled youth, 
for continuously working hard up until your last days on the planet, and for most of all, just making us laugh out loud with some truly funny cameos in the MCU. Oh, and for that smile, absolutely priceless. In other news, we've had some tremendous comic books land here at the Manor this month. Uh, the Batverse keeps chugging along nicely. Spider-Geddon gave us a truly horrific Spider-Man made out of actual spiders. While Exorcisters, Die 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 and Pearl told some incredible and interesting new stories. TV has been kind with Legends and the Arrowverse returning to our shores. While over on Netflix, the brilliant Castlevania and Sabrina have scratched the itch. Right. I'll be back next month, if THM will have me back, with a look at the comic community here in the heart of Great Britain and a chat with some of the locals who live around the Mushroom Manor. Plus, the return of the Queen's English segment with Her Majesty herself, QE2, and some gardening tips from the Deep South softest mouth, Tarquin Fungus. So until then, true believers, this is Stately Lord Fungus saying, Excelsior. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> That is it for TGN 507. Before we get out of here, Joe Patrick asked these nerds a new question of the week. Okay. This week's question comes from New Guy via the THN forums. Captain America is my favorite fictional character, but it wasn't always this way. Like many dumbasses, I thought he was just a hokey symbol of jingoistic American exceptionalism. That was until I learned the reasons why Kirby and Simon created him and actually read a bunch of his stories. Holy shiz, was I wrong. I love how he uses shiz every shiz. time he asks yeah. a question. Keeps it clean. Yeah. Good. Sadly, like, of course. Like Sinbad. Yeah, like Sinbad. It's wholesome. <laughs> Sadly, of course, those reasons still exist and many of his stories are still relevant because we haven't learned our goddamn lesson some 78 years later. I would argue it might be a little worse. I think you might be right. Now, I can't get enough cap, so that brings me to my question. Which character have you been the most wrong about? Who did you absolutely hate or misunderstand and then find yourself loving? Was it because of outright dumbassery like mine, or because a new creator came on and changed the character around? My answer is Jesus Christ. So I read the Bible and the guy was just boring, but then I read Jesus Christ Zombie Slayer, and I went, whoa. I thought, I thought, <laughs> then you saw his Jesus Christ Superstar, and you're like, this guy rocks. No, wait, Jesus Christ Superstar was lame. Oh my God. <laughs> If you're new to this show and you hate it, that's probably because you haven't listened to enough of us. Good news! You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes ain't cheap, so we want to thank donors like, like our boy Jeff Hitt, who shells out money in this show on a monthly basis when he should be raising children. Good for you, Jeff. And he's got so many you're children. doing it right. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Stan the Man Lee, co-architect of the Marvel Universe, who passed away on November 12th at the age of 95. Stan leaves behind a complex legacy of both good and bad, but for all of his faults and accomplishments, comics wouldn't be the same without him, and Matt and I certainly wouldn't be here. Thanks for everything, True Believer. Excelsior. Yeah. Until next time, True Believers! Remember to pre-order your comics. Or your retailer might get on your Facebook and talk shit about Stan Lee that isn't even true. This is the Two-Headed Nerd! Signing That's off. That's not... That joke makes no sense to anyone. <laughs> it makes sense to one person. <laughs> and I hope they hear it. Hey!